All right, hey, let's get into the word this morning. First Thessalonians 5. We're going to look at, I'm just going to read three verses this time, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Let's pray. Father, pour out your mercy upon us this morning. Pour out your grace upon us. Lord, give us ears to hear. And be with us, Lord. We want to be students of your word. We want to be people that hear your word and then act on it. God, we thank you for taking us through 2020 and the different challenges um, it posed to us individually, as families, as a church, as a community. And uh, God, we even thank you for things like uh, vaccines and that you use that to, to spare people from getting horrible diseases. We pray for our nation as it starts to emerge from its cocoon in many ways, God, that we would be fast about your business, be fast about the gospel, we'd be fast about loving people and loving our neighbors, regardless of where they're at, regardless of who they are. Let us uh, truly love our neighbors. And Father, thanks for the privilege of gathering with the saints to celebrate who you are and to celebrate the proclamation of your word. And Lord, we pray for our young ones that are back being instructed as well in your word. Father, save them. Give them a saving faith to know you at an early age, that they would truly believe in you, truly trust in you, truly seek you all their days. That that next generation back there that you would use this church, use the parents here to instruct them in righteousness, to teach them to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And thanks for the blessing of, of the children, God, that are at this church. Thank you for blessing us with them. Thank you for blessing the parents. Give them an extra measure of grace, the parents, Lord, as they instruct and train them to seek after you. Give them wisdom beyond their years to instruct their children and shepherd their hearts rightly. Amen. All right, we're going to look at this phrase today in verse 2, the day of the Lord. Now, this phrase occurs throughout the prophets in the Old Testament. It occurs specifically in eight of the prophets, which we're going to look at today. That phrase, the day of the Lord, but really all the prophets reference that day. In, in some form or fashion. They might not just use that phrase, the day of the Lord, but might, they might say something like, on that day, or when the Lord comes back, or something along those lines. But that specific phrase is used by eight different prophets, and, and over and over again, they talk about this day. Well, what is it? Uh, it's a day of judgment when the Lord returns to punish sin as well as reward righteousness. Now think for a moment, before we look at some of these passages with the prophets, think about the prophets in the Old Testament. What was their role? You know, what did they do? One of their primary roles was to warn the people. 
And what were they to warn them about? Judgment. And with that message of judgment, they were also giving a message of what? Repentance. Turn now while there is still time. So the prophets of the Old Testament, they preached not just to Israel, but they actually preached to all the surrounding nations. In fact, some books are specifically written to other nations. These were completely pagan nations except Israel. And at best, at best, these nations, at best, they had limited access to the word of God. At best. Possibly no access. Now the prophets pronounced judgment on them even as if they should know that they knew better than what they were doing. Think about that for a moment. These nations that had no access or little access at best, God still sent these prophets to preach against these nations as if they knew right from wrong. Why? Because God had given them a conscience. God had given them in their souls this right from wrong idea. And here's the thing. The pagan nations had a moral responsibility to God, just like you and I do. Every single person, past, present, or future, has a moral responsibility to God. No one escapes their moral responsibility to God. And ignorance for sin is never an excuse. Your honor, I didn't know that was against the law. What's he going to say? You should have known. So every single person is responsible to God for how they live, for the actions they take, and, and really for the actions they don't take. So no one, no one, no one, not any of you, no one will be without excuse on Judgment Day. I didn't know will not be an acceptable reason. So the prophets warn, and they warn, and they warn, and, and, and in that message of warning is repentance, and one of the things they warn about and talk about is this day of the Lord. This was a very well-known concept to the Jews, that the Lord was going to come back, and he was going to visit iniquity on the right, unrighteous and reward the righteous. And this is the very thing that Paul is talking about. Let's look at it again. You yourselves know, verse 2, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Is that good or bad, sudden destruction? That's bad. Okay, good job. Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. There's no escape. Sudden destruction. You're not getting out of it. So this is what Paul talks about. But what is he doing? He is referencing a concept that is very familiar in the Old Testament. And there's actually two aspects. When we talk about the day of the Lord, there's two aspects to it. One is that this day is great and awesome and amazing and beautiful. And the other aspect is that it is a horrible and awful and terrible day. Peter, and I want you to see this, so look at Acts uh, chapter 2. Peter uses this concept of the day of the Lord when he preaches his first sermon on the day of Pentecost. Let's pick it up in verse 1 just so we can get a little context. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. 
and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they are all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Right? So this is the coming of the Spirit. They're filled with it. This is the promise. I should say they're filled with Him. This is the promise that God had given them, that Jesus gave to them before He left. And look what happens. Verse 7. People gather. They hear, this, they hear them speaking in these different tongues. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? So there's some, there's some, uh, they're, they're perplexed. There's some confusion. Verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They are filled with new wine. And then here, what, what does Peter do? Peter stands up, it says, with the eleven. He lifts up his voice and addresses them. And then he gives what we would call like the first sermon. These people are not drunk, verse 15, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And now he's going to quote Joel. Now we could just read it here, but I actually want you to see it in the book of Joel. Okay, So let's turn to the book of Joel, and he's quoting from chapter 2. He starts quoting in verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So, I mean, Peter's letting the people know, hey, this, this part of the prophecy is, has just been fulfilled in your midst. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. Then he goes on. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, has that been fulfilled at that point? No, it hasn't. So it was fulfilled in part on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. The sun shall be turned to darkness. That hasn't happened. The moon to blood. That hasn't happened. For the great and awesome day of the Lord. So he uses this as he preaches to them. What is he doing? He's warning them about this day that is to come. And then he turns it into a message of what? Repentance for them to be forgiven of their sins. I want you to catch this though. Because he's sharing this with them. And he shares this very last part. Verse 32. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Even in the midst of judgment, there is hope. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So judgment is coming, and that's what the prophets say, but salvation is available. Repentance is available. So we're going to stay in Joel 2, Actually, we're going to stay in Joel. We're going to actually look back at verse 1 because that's his first mention of this day of the Lord. So turn to Joel 1. And look how he begins this section in verse 13. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Verse 14 of chapter 1. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. 
Why? Well, we're about to find out. Verse 15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? So he's talking about this day, and what does he preface it with? It's coming, and you need to repent. Call a fast. Humble yourselves. Put on the sackcloth and ashes. And get humble before the Lord because this day is coming and it's coming for you. Look what he says in chapter 2. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Now, that trumpet we, we, we've heard in 1 Thessalonians, right? Right? Chapter 4? Okay, we're going to come back to that later. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. So, so here he's saying, hey, it's not a pretty day. Now, why would he say that? Because he's preaching to people that need to repent. He's preaching to people that are walking in disobedience and unrepentance. Then he goes on, verse 11. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. For who, excuse me, he who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Okay, so on the one hand, it's like awful. On the one hand, it's great. Awful, great. So they're kind of juxtaposed together. Now we just read Joel chapter 2, 28 through 31. <clears throat> Same idea. The day is coming and each of us need to be ready for that day. Judgment is coming. We need to get right. Look at Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, now let's start, sorry, let's start in verse 7, chapter 1. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Okay, that's the first mention of it. He's going to mention it a few times in this very short book. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who are rating themselves in foreign Attire, And on that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. And it goes on. Let's pick it up in verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlement. What the prophets want to do is to awake the people from their slumber so they don't mince words and they describe it in very real ways that the people can understand it. Look at the words back in verse 15. A day of wrath, distress, anguish, ruin, devastation, darkness, gloom, uh, clouds, and thick darkness. And there's that trumpet blowing again. 
When we read these things, sometimes, here's what happens, friends. Uh, we read, uh, we're, you know, and I heard some of you flipping, trying to probably find Zephaniah. It's a small book. It's in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. But we can sometimes get so well-versed in the New Testament, hopefully at least, but then we're not really studying our Old Testament. And, and, and when Paul's writing, um, a lot of times he's writing with all of that Old Testament knowledge packed in his, his head and his heart. And, it, and it's just going to come through, Right? And he's writing, he's writing to the people. And any, any Jewish person reading that would know these references that he's making, that they're not as familiar with some of us today, in part because we just haven't maybe done our homework all the way. But, th- but these references would be ringing true when Paul mentions the day of the Lord. All these passages would, would be called to their mind. They would know these Old Testament prophets. They would know these passages. They would know this concept very clearly in their mind. So it's, it's a very sobering day for them, but it's, it's a great day. That's what Zephaniah calls it. That's what Joel calls it. There's the day of a trumpet blast. So there's this aspect that is great and awesome. We read it last week, but let's look at it again. Malachi says the same thing right before Matthew. Chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So sometimes they focus on the greatness. Sometimes they focus on the dreadfulness of it. Let's look at some of the passages that focus more on the dreadfulness of it. Isaiah 13, verse 6. Look what he says here. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. Does that sound familiar? That's what Paul's referencing. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Why such straightforward language? Why, why, not, why don't they beat around the bush? Because, friends, when, when, you're, when your soul is on the line, you, you don't beat around the bush. When, when a destruction that lasts forever, you don't water it down. You don't pull any punches. You give it to people straightforward exactly as they need to hear it. Why? Because that's actually an act of love. If you, knew, if you knew sudden destruction was going to come upon people, you'd be like, hey, um, now th- this day, it, I mean, it might not be that good for you. No, you want, to be, you want to be serious. Like, hey, it's going to be bad. And it's not going to be pretty. And once that day comes, if you haven't repented, there's no hope for you. None at all. It's over. So that's what the prophets do. And it's actually an act of love to, to be so straightforward about it so that people don't miss the seriousness of it. Look at, uh, look at uh, Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy and, th- and say, Thus says the Lord God, Wail, alas, for the day. For the day is near. The day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Again, look at Amos chapter 5, verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? 
It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Now think about that for a moment. Why is he being so straightforward with them and painting it in such a, 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 a dark reality? Why? Because the people that he's preaching to are going to hell. That's where they're going. And they're all like, oh man, that day's coming. They knew all about, well, we're going to be fine because we're Israelites. And some of us sometimes are the same way. We're going to be fine because we go to church. We're going to be fine because we read our Bible. Listen, friends, God isn't concerned about your acts as much as he's concerned about your heart. And if your heart isn't right before him, all those acts don't do you any good. They don't do you any good. So there's, he, he's trying to get their attention here. They're thinking they're going to be fine on the Day of Judgment. Who was the Day of Judgment for, in their opinion? All those other nations. Israel would be fine. Who do we think the Day of Judgment for? Oh, all those unbelievers out there. Which is true. But, but guess what? We better make sure we're not one of those unbelievers. And it's very possible and likely, sadly, that people here in this room right now, there's unbelievers. And God has not gotten a hold of your heart. And you've not surrendered to him. So this message is for you. That It's going to be a dark day. It's going to be a horrible day. You should be scared of that day if you're an unbeliever. You should loathe that day coming. So check your heart right now and make sure you are right with God. You need to make sure you're right. You don't want to be there on that day if you're an unbeliever. You will be, but you don't want to be. Look, look at Obadiah. This tiny, small little book. One chapter. And what does he mention? Verse 15. He mentions the day of the Lord. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. One, one chapter. And this, this is one of those books, actually, that's not written to the Israelites. Primarily, verse 1 of, well, chapter 1, the only chapter. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. It's primarily to Edom. And the day of the Lord, it's coming. Let's look back at the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians. Not 1 Thessalonians, 2, chapter 1. He starts in verse 4, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. And then here's where it begins. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. 
What's he talking about? He's talking about the day of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians talks about it. 2 Thessalonians talks about it. And what is it? It's destruction, right? But look what he says in verse 10. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. So that's the, the contrast. Sudden destruction and horrible for unbelievers. What are we going to be doing? We're going to be marveling at how great it is that God has returned for us. We will be, I mean, we're just, we'll be speechless. We'll be in awe. It'll be an amazing day for believers. So make sure you're counted among the saints. So why do the prophets focus more on this scary, awful, horrible? Because, like I've said, the the prophets were sent to warn. They're not like, oh, hey, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. No, like, hey, you're disobedient. Judgment is coming. Repent while there is still time. Why is it a great and awesome day? Because for those believers, for us who have trusted Christ, that He's truly redeemed them, we're covered by the blood of Christ, God will be vindicated. Justice will be served. Every knee will bow. And your salvation will be brought to its totality. You'll get your glorified body. It's going to be an amazing thing. The work of God in your life will be finished. You will be glorified. And it's great and awesome because everyone will see God for who He truly is. And Revelation talks about that, right? Every tear wiped away. No more suffering, no more pain, for the former things have all passed what? Away. So here's the message for us, it's that we need to repent. Don't don't be wagging your finger, that's for those people. We need to make sure, anytime you hear any message, my friends, from the Word, based on the Word, preached from the Word, you need to act like it's for you. Because if you start thinking it's for the person in front of you or beside you, then that's not a good place. You need to first and foremost receive it for yourself. Then you can start praying for the people around you. But first and foremost, receive that word for yourself. Why? Because you want to make sure you're not deceived. Probably everyone in here, if I asked you to raise your hands, if you're saved, every hand would go up. It's possible you might be deceived. You think you're saved and you're not. I mean, how many times does Jesus himself warn against Deception. Even in Matthew 24, we'll look at in the coming weeks when he's talking about the end times, he talks about it being for the, if it's possible, for the elect to be deceived. So deception is out there, and all of us, if we're honest, we've been tricked or duped in different areas of our lives at times, tricked or duped by different people. So we know it's possible for it to happen. Friends, like make sure it doesn't happen with your salvation. You want to get duped and, and, and pay a couple thousand dollars extra for a car or something because the, the, the car salesman was, was tricking you and deceiving you and you thought that engine was all shined up and good to go. What, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's financial loss. But don't get deceived when it comes to your salvation. That's forever. That is forever. There's no going back when the day of the Lord comes. It'll be too late. So prepare yourselves. Make yourselves right with God. Go to him and humble yourself. And here's the thing, friends. 
the last few weeks, I've been giving you, you know, lots of facts and information. I mean, what do you do with all that? I mean, this, this, is, this is great information, and, and I'm challenging you and, and, and applying it and, and telling you to repent. But what's, what's the purpose of me giving you this information? In, in, in part, and in, in kind of the bigger picture, is like spiritual growth for believers. Spiritual growth. But, but we want to grow without struggle. And we want to grow without sacrifice. And we want to grow without effort. Now, I mean, imagine if, if you went to your boss, you know, and you're like, oh, hey, boss, um, I, I'm not going to work much at this job here, and I'm going to put in very little effort. Um, however, I fully expect you to advance my career, increase my pay, and appreciate all my lack of effort. Like, I mean, how crazy is that? How crazy is that? But that's sometimes how, like, we are with the Lord. We're just like, Lord, I'm just going to be lazy, and, and I got saved 20 years ago, and, you know, I, I read my Bible, I mean, at least once every two weeks, you know, but you be, I expect you to make me grow, because that's all about your spirit. That's all about you doing that work. That's not true. But that's how we can be sometimes. We can grow complacent in our walk with the Lord. Friends, we've got to throw off complacency. And we've got to throw off idleness. Here's what Proverbs 19 says, verse 15. Well, why don't you all turn there so you can read it for yourselves. Proverbs 19, 15. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Friends, you, you do the things you want to do. You prioritize the things that are important to you. So that laundry list of stuff that each of us got to do on our home or to do at work or do at school, like those things are on for whatever reason, sometimes good reasons, sometimes not so good. They just haven't, we just haven't prioritized getting those things done. And we can say all the excuses we want in the world about how we're so busy, yet we find time to do the things we want to do. We find time to do it. And I want to read you this this quote from this theologian. I feel like he sums it up well what I'm trying to emphasize to you. Listen. He says this, The longer you meditate on the writings of the Apostle Paul, the more clearly you see that genuine, deep, spiritual experience depends on genuine, deep, biblical knowledge. All right? So genuine, deep, spiritual experience depends on genuine, deep, spiritual, biblical, excuse me, biblical knowledge. He goes on, I mean things like faith and love and peace and joy. These precious subjective experiences of the heart depend on the mind's apprehension of objective biblical truth. So we, we got we to gotta know it first. He goes on, from a biblical standpoint, studying and thinking and knowing are never ends in themselves. Studying and thinking and knowing. We can get all the head knowledge, right? That's not the end. That's not the end. They always stand in the service of feeling and willing and doing. The mind is the servant of the heart. Knowledge exists for the sake of love, and all theology worth its salt produces doxology. It means theology, the stuff you're studying and learning, ends up producing you actually living it out rightly. It results in action. So let's learn these things. 
but then take them to the deeper level of the heart. And let's have the mind and the heart like together in unity. So the mind is learning and it's telling the heart, hey, now we got to live this out. Now we got to be affected. Now we got to walk in truth. We don't just want information. We want transformation. If you want information, I mean, you go to some secular school, some secular high school, college, university, they can give you knowledge of all sorts of things. We don't just want information. We want transformation. We want transformed lives. We want transformed hearts. So let these truths not just inform you, but transform you. And friends, that, that takes intentionality. And that takes effort. And that takes a struggle on our part. Look, we cooperate with the work of God when it comes to us growing. Justification, Him saving us, that's His work and His work alone. Sanctification, us growing, us walking through the Christian life, that's us and Him. That's the Holy Spirit in us. There's a cooperation. We have a part to play. We have a role. And we can grow more. And if we're complaining, I'm not growing, Lord. I'm not growing. Why aren't you growing me, Lord? He's like, why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you trying? And yes, there's all sorts of dangers in in both those aspects. But friends, the truth is, we have a role to play. We have to be active in our sanctification. Active. Those are the words used. Read, Read the New Testament. Active, active, active. We're doing things. We're walking it out. We're living it. Friends, where are we doing that from the basis from? From the fact that we're already saved. That's what you've got to understand. From the, from the fact that we are justified in Christ. If you've trusted in Christ, if, you're, if you've you know, put your faith in Him, if you've humbled yourself and realized, I can't do it. And then, then He saves you. He redeems you. The Holy Spirit comes in, regenerates you. Now you're saved. And guess what? You are a new what? Creation, right? There's the old man. He's gone. You got the new creation. New creation. New creation. So you've got that new creation. And God wants you to walk and live and act like that new creation. That's what he wants us to do. So not just information, transformation. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He, I mean, it's not like he's like, oh, wow, man, I'm just, I'm just trying and trying, and, 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 and Joe and, and Paul and Frank, they're not changing at all, and, and Julie and Patty, like, I'm, I'm doing all my work over here. Like, come on, Father, says the Holy Spirit, why won't you change them? Really? That's not what's happening. The Holy Spirit is ready and more than willing to come in and work with you in your growth of sanctification. It's not that he's unwilling. It's that we're unwilling. So let's have willing hearts. But that takes action. That takes effort. That takes struggle. But friends, do you want to know the Lord better tomorrow than you do today? And better the next day after that? And do you want to grow? And do you want to say in one year or five years or ten years, be able to look back? at how you've grown. I don't know about you, but you know, I still got I still got 
<clears throat> different areas of weakness in my life. And I'm hoping, praying, believing, and working that God will sanctify me in those areas. And I'm hoping that if, if you're at this church in five years and ten years, you're like, man, I've, I've seen growth in Pastor Mike. And my hope and prayer is that I can say the same thing about each of you. And that we don't, we don't you know, we're grow- I don't want a flat line. I know you all don't want a flat line. But if we're just complacent about it, we'll flatline. It's kind of like the illustration that one of the pastors at the Foundations Conference used a couple years ago. You know, you're, you're trying to go up that escalator backwards. What happens the moment you stop? You're going backwards, right? So it takes some effort. You try to go up the escalator backwards. And we, we did that at kids at the mall, right? You're not supposed to. I know they yell at you. <clears throat> but you try to go up that escalator backwards, it takes effort to get to the top. But the moment you stop, you're working your way back. It's a good illustration for the Christian life. It takes effort to make progress. Let's make the effort. Let's take time to make the effort and work towards our sanctification. Let's pray. God, I pray that each of us here would be ready to meet you the day of the Lord, your day, the day that you come back. And God, press upon it. Wipe away any deception of anyone that might be here that doesn't know you, that anyone that might be listening to this message on a podcast or on the live stream, remove any deception. If they aren't saved, let them truly know that. And then convict them, God, and be gracious to save them. Let them desire to trust in you fully. And we thank you that you've revealed these things to men of God, that you've put them in your word, that we can study them, we can know them. But let us do more than that. Let us walk out these truths, that they would change us and transform us. We thank you that you are quick to save, Father. I pray that you would draw near those who don't know you. And for us that do, Father, that we would continue to seek your kingdom first, continue to put you first, continue to honor and glorify you first in all things. Amen.